The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And good morning, everybody. This is Ray Hanania here. It's Wednesday, May 26th, and uh, we have another good show. We got some great guests, and I, I appreciate all of them joining us today. Um, one of our first guests is going to be Chris Hodges. He's the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Assistance Coordination and Press and Public Diplomacy at the State Department's Bureau for Near Eastern Affairs. Now, I've covered government 45 years as a reporter, and I know that titles go at least 10 words, 20 words. That is one long title. But uh, Chris is, uh, was a former uh, Assistant Deputy Chief of Mission and Chief of the Palestinian Affairs Unit at the embassy in Jerusalem. He joined the Foreign Service back in 2000 uh, as a public affairs officer in Jerusalem. He was in Hanoi, Vietnam, uh, and a number of other places. He's going to be calling us um, from the Middle East. He's with Secretary Blinken in the Middle East. Uh, and as you know, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, is working really hard to uh, bring down the violence, bring down the conflict, and uh, try to see if we can get everything back on track. So we'll talk with him as soon as he calls in. In the meantime, I also have a great guest, uh, Professor Brad Roth. He's a professor of political science and law, and he's the director of undergraduate studies at the Department of Political Science at Wayne State University right there in uh, Detroit. And you know, everybody, that we broadcast in Detroit on WNZK AM 690 radio and also in Washington, D.C. on WDMV AM 700 radio, as well as streaming live on Facebook at Arab News. Um, many of uh, Brad's courses include law, authority, and resistance, and we're going to have a discussion with him too, about some of the laws that apply to uh, the occupation that uh, people who want to bring about peace between Israelis and Palestinians have to overcome or at least understand. And later at the bottom of the hour, um, we will be talking with a uh, colleague of mine, Ephraim Kosafi. He's Arab News correspondent at the United Nations. Ephraim was cited in a recent analysis by uh, the Middle East Policy Council. It's a big deal for his reporting on how strong several Arab countries, including Saudi Arabia, have been in condemning the violence in Gaza and in East Jerusalem. But uh, let, while we're waiting for, oh, Chris is on. Uh, Chris Hodges, thank you so much for joining us, Chris. How are you? And just for our listeners to know who might be watching on Facebook, Chris is on the phone he is not on the Facebook uh, Live, Zoom Live with us. Um, we do have uh, Brad Roth uh, with us live. But, Chris, thank you so much for calling us. Yeah, Ray, uh, good morning, and thanks for having me. I was listening for a couple minutes uh, just right before this, and my business card does run front and back. And I, I think I've been trying to explain that title to my mother now for at least a year yeah. without success. So. 
Yeah, and, <laughs> and no criticism. You know how journalists are. We criticize everything. You know, we can't <laughs> help ourselves, no, I, right? I, so, know, not at <laughs> all. Just, Even internally, I think those titles can get pretty, <laughs> pretty long. Uh, but I'm really happy to be here with you. I'm actually calling in from D.C. I've been in Washington supporting the secretary. Oh, you are good. Okay, so connect, yeah, connect uh, I with the traveling party. Great. So all. thank you. So tell us about, if you don't mind, what is uh, Secretary Blinken's priority goal in this trip in uh, Israel and Palestine, this Middle East trip? What's his priority? Yeah, I think there are a couple, Ray. I think the first is to you meet with leaders on the Israeli and the Palestinian side, as well as regional leaders uh, in Cairo and Amman, to make sure that the, the ceasefire that was brokered some days ago continues to hold. But I, I think beyond that, it is trying to address the root causes of this conflict, the things that caused the conflict and the exchange of hostilities to spark up in the first place. And I think as part of that effort, what the Secretary wants to do is, you know, reaffirm our commitment to uh, addressing those causes and trying to create an environment that is conducive for, you know, a more sustainable peace to take hold, and not least to uh, signal our re-engagement and um, connection to uh, the Palestinian people. Uh, he talked about announcing uh, you know, an aid package that altogether I think comes to around $360 million. He announced that we will begin the process to reopen our consulate to the Palestinians, which is a place where I served in Jerusalem when I was over there and engaged Palestinians directly across all walks of life. So. Uh, you know, a couple of different goals interconnected that the secretary wanted to achieve. And, and I know that one of the mo most important things that I think he's trying to do is create a bring a little balance. Now, it's not completely possible to do that. Obviously, Israel is a government. Um, they're a country recognized all over. Uh, the Palestinians are, you know, they're in, under occupation. They have a semi-government, I guess, not with all the same powers, but it looks like uh, Secretary Blinken is trying to bring the Palestinians up so they can at least uh, uh, bridge that gap in, uh, you know, to bring a balance there, um, opening the uh, uh, embassy, the uh, consulate in East Jerusalem, I think is a great step, restoring funding. Um, how important is that to in moving forward to achieve peace, that idea of treating people equal as opposed to one you know, seeing themselves as being occupied and another being seen as an occupier. Yeah, um, so I think the Secretary has said on a couple of occasions, and it's a great line, and I always want to repeat lines from the Secretary of State, but uh, in particular this one, which is that Israelis and Palestinians equally have the right to live in security, uh, enjoy prosperity and freedom and stability. And that's a big part of what we're trying to do is to uh, emphasize that, not just on the Israeli side, but on the Palestinian side, too. And when you talk about what this consulate general is designed to do and what it has historically done, you know, yes, it is engaging the Palestinian Authority, sure. And, and uh, Secretary Blinken met with Mahmoud Abbas and, and uh, you know, uh, PA officials during his trip. But it's more than that. The secretary also met with civil society leaders in business and education uh, you know, NGO leaders. It's about engaging Palestinian youth. It's about really the entire sweep of, of talking to the Palestinian people and working with them to ensure that that environment, can, that environment I mentioned earlier, can take hold. Can the secretary address uh, issues like 
Uh, you know, and there's a big debate between Palestinians and Israelis. You know, the ironies were so close, and yet we are so far when it comes to issues. Um, and they both see it in different ways from the Palestinian side. They see it from this recent flare-up beginning in East Jerusalem in the Sheikh Jarrah uh, neighborhood of East Jerusalem. Is that being addressed, or is this just about Hamas and Israel and the firing of rockets back and forth between the two countries? That's a great question, and I would, I would frame it this way. Um, I think what we have to do is to build trust in this environment. Now, it's a difficult environment right now in which to build trust, and that's something that doesn't happen overnight. But the first step in building that trust and that understanding and that dialogue between Israelis and Palestinians is um, avoiding any action on either side that would be destabilizing or provocative. And that is settlement expansion, that is uh, evictions, that is incitement to violence, that is uh, you know, the payment of, uh, of money to uh, families of prisoners who are in jail for, you know, attacking and in many cases killing innocent civilians. Those things on both sides are, are issues that need to be addressed, and we need to and want to and are working with both sides to try to address those and build that trust and rapport that, that can help bring those two sides together. I mean, I, I um, don't ask me to speak Arabic on the phone, please, but I, I used to speak Arabic quite well. And I was all, always surprised in Jerusalem that Hebrew and Arabic, really, as you say, are, are so similar. The numbers are um, in, in some ways almost identical. And, and so the, um, the fact that, that those two uh, you know, peoples and populations share so much but are so divided by these issues is something we certainly want to address. Yeah, and do you think that, uh, um, when, that, that uh, does Secretary Blinken and does the State Department feel that this mission is getting the support it needs from the Arab world and the Israelis? Are all the governments coming through to support what he's trying to do? Or, uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure you're not going to say no, you know, they're just giving us lip service. But too often we see these things going on 70 years. It's a uh, cycle up and down. Um, does he feel he's getting what he needs from Israel's government um, and also from uh, the Arab countries that are directly involved. Yeah, you know, I think breaking that cycle is really important, and I, and I like the way you characterize it. Um, it's important to realize that, that the, the calculus of the ground in the region has shifted over the last couple of years with the announcement of these normalization agreements between the Emirates in Israel and Bahrain in Israel and, and Morocco, um, you know, coming in as well and others. And so those are opportunities, but I, I think they're also a recognition that everybody has a shared stake in addressing these issues that we're talking about. And I know the Secretary has been engaging those leaders, and, you know, there, there are some positive fruits that we can point to even now. Um, the Egyptians, I think as we've said, I know as we've said publicly, and I want to reemphasize it, uh, were critical in brokering that ceasefire between Hamas and Israel. Um, Jordan, obviously, is a key partner uh, when we talk about these issues. And the newer, you know, normalizing uh, so-called Abraham Accords countries are as well. So there's a lot we can do together. I, I think that we just need to be open and collaborative and, um, uh, you know, uh, patient about how we do all of that. Uh, but uh, I think that the current environment really demonstrates this is not just a problem limited to these two sides, it's a problem that's in the interest of the entire region to address. 
With me uh, in the uh, studio is Brad Roth. He's a professor of political science and law at Wayne State University, a great guy, been very uh, kind to join us this morning to help kind of analyze all this uh, later on during the show. And I know, uh, Chris, that your time is really restricted. I'm going to let you go. But I wonder, Brad, I don't know if you have a question that you'd like to ask uh, Chris. Um, I'm happy to let you do that. Well, I, I guess one of the things that always troubles me about the way that these matters get discussed is that as though there are no external norms that apply to the circumstances, that this is just a matter of kind of creating the, the conditions for, for dialogue and negotiation in, in, a, in a kind of normative vacuum. Uh, the fact is that the status quo for Palestinians is not a tolerable status quo, so restoring the calm of the status quo is, is a problem there, and I wonder to what extent the Secretary of State fully grasps that reality. Yeah, Professor Ross, thanks for your question. I think the Secretary is, is well acquainted um, with the situation on the ground, and um, as are the diplomats who, you know, work in his service. And uh, I think, as he has said, and I, I want to reemphasize, it's not just about getting the ceasefire to hold although that is important. It's about addressing some of these underlying issues, and it's about working slowly and deliberately, because these are, these are tough issues, but working towards an environment where Palestinians can really access that equal right to security and stability and prosperity. And, and, and you know, uh, as of May 26, we're, we're not there, but we want to try to get there. And there's a lot of work to do on that front, but um, as someone who was on the ground for five years working on these issues, uh, I can tell you that there are uh, a cadre of dedicated folks out there and here who understand it, who engage with Palestinians uh, every day, and who are committed to trying to get this done. Yeah, and I, and I think your uh, attitude is so important, that the attitude of the Biden administration, you, you may not agree with 100% of everything, and nobody agrees about 100% in politics, but um, I think the attitude is there. Chris. Hodges, our guest, the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Assistance, Coordination, and Press and Public Diplomacy at the State Department's Bureau for Nor Near Eastern Affairs. I almost got through <laughs> that. one breath, right? <laughs> With one, almost. Chris, listen, seriously, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're on a tight schedule this morning. It's very kind of you to call in uh, on the phone, and I look forward to having you again on. And, uh, you know, uh, please... Uh, Ask uh, the Secretary of State if he'd like to come on and make some major news announcement on my radio show. I'm welcome to have him do that. So, I'll pass it on All to right. Ray. It's, it's been a pleasure. And uh, please call any time. Uh, uh, good morning to you both. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much. Chris Hodges, the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Assistance, Coordination, Press, and Public Diplomacy at the State Department's Bureau for Near Eastern Affairs. I wish I had a title like that. It would, you know, it's pretty good. But they got a big challenge on their hands, uh, Brad. Listen, we're going to take a quick uh, break. And when we come back from that break, we're going to get into uh, maybe some depth about the law, the occupation, stuff like that. And also, um, what are the likelihood of seeing something different that we haven't seen in the past? Brad Roth is a professor of political science and law and director of undergraduate studies at Wayne State um, so right after the break, we'll talk to him. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. 
Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Are your hands feeling numb? Do you feel pain opening up a jar, turning a key? Are you noticing that your elbow and your shoulder are becoming stiff? Or were you recently injured in your arm? Hello, I'm Dr. Albajit Katranji, and at the Katranji Hand Center, which just recently opened down the street from the Somerset Mall, we can provide you with the latest in hand, wrist, elbow, and shoulder care. Visit us at www.katranjihandcenter.com to learn the latest techniques that we have to offer you, and I look forward to taking care of you. Visit us in Troy at 1565 West Big Beaver Road, Building F, or call Katranji Hand Center for an appointment at 248-869-4263. That's 248-869-4263. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali al-Baghdadi and Fatty Bottom serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali al-Baghdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all CD guidelines and is open every day 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. I'm going to have to talk to the editors at Arab News. A great newspaper, by the way. If you go to ArabNews.com, you can get all the big headlines uh, every day. Uh, it has uh, bureaus in Riyadh and Dubai and Paris and London uh, in Tokyo and Islamabad uh, we have uh, uh, a bureau that we're building up uh, later. We'll talk to the bureau chief over there, uh, from Kosfi, at the United Nations in New York. I was there one time. I told Ifram, that's a headache, that building, that one building. So much turmoil, so much trouble, so much news. It's really cool. But I'm going to talk to the editors about giving me a, I want a longer title. What do you think, Brad? 
My guest on the line is uh, with me on Facebook and uh, on Zoom is Brad Roth, professor of political science and law and director of undergraduate studies at Wayne State University. We need you bigger titles. At least as long as mine. Yeah, no, you got a good one. It's almost as long as the one. You could almost work in the State Department with that title. So what did you think of basically, I think what uh, uh, Chris was uh, explaining, and I think it was pretty obvious that uh, Secretary Blinken, you know, in the Middle East is trying to ease tensions, get people to talk to each other. That's obviously the first step. But as you pointed out, that can't be the last step. And oftentimes that's what we end up see happening, don't we? Yeah, well, the peace process has been fetishized so that it becomes sort of an end in itself. And in some sense, for the State Department, I think maybe it is an end in itself, uh, because what they want is calm and what they want is to avoid distraction. Uh, and they want to be able to focus their attention safely on other things. And uh, that's a luxury that Palestinians don't have. Uh, and so it's a little bit galling to, to hear this presented in quite the anodyne way. Uh, that is being presented uh, from the, the standpoint of the State Department. It, it's encouraging uh, that there is discussion about what security means for Palestinians as well as what it means for Israelis. Um, on the other hand, uh, biting down on these distractions like payments to uh, to people who are jailed right. uh, by Israel is, is just a kind of a sign of, of the willingness of the administration to allow itself to be derailed from any serious critique of the foundational problem uh, that exists. Is it, isn't it, it though, Blinken basically trying to walk a very, two lines, really, between the Palestinians and the Israelis? There's no single line there. So he's trying to make the Palestinians happy, and he's trying to make the Israelis happy by touching on their big points, like the, the thing about the uh, paying the families. Now, personally, it's, you know, you're paying families. You're not paying the tourists. But to argue that sometimes becomes a distraction, doesn't it? Um, you know, those, getting into the details like that draw, draws us away from peace. I think we wouldn't have to deal with that issue if we can get the two sides to actually respect each other, right? Well, it's a matter of having the two sides respect each other, but it's also a matter of the overall framework that one applies to understanding the situation. Uh, if the goal is to bring people together to reach an accommodation on the basis of the comparative leverage of the parties, uh, then that obviously skews the discussion in a particular way. It might, frankly, be useful to certain officials in the Palestinian Authority who have, uh, frankly, lost legitimacy with right. the Palestinian populace over time. Uh, but it's hardly clear how this is going to operate from the standpoint of the people at the grassroots level who see how their lives are being affected by the situation. And so what is really needed is a new approach. Uh, it's unclear. I mean, if, if there is a new approach in the thinking of the, of the, the, the Biden administration, they're not going to say it straight out anyway. Um, so they may well, be that's what I was going to ask you. No, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, what could possibly be a new approach? Uh, we've been at this thing for 70 years. I, I, you know, I'm in my 60s, and I'm telling you, I grew up through this whole thing, living in a family. as I'm Palestinian, obviously, and my wife, by the way, is Jewish, so I really appreciate both sides of this whole conflict. Um, and I try to be sensitive more because I'm in that box. But what possibly new could anybody actually do that hasn't been tried by every administration that we've seen prior to uh, President Biden. 
What do you think well, would have I to be done? Well, every administration has, uh, with, with few exceptions in the now rather remote past, has accepted the Israeli framework for how to understand the, the problem. Uh, and so when, there is an effort to try to keep both sides from engaging in provocations. But the, the, the bottom line is that Israel has systemic policies which are in contravention of the law of occupation and which really actually undermine Israel's own claim that the occupation is something that is exceptional to the nature of the state of Israel rather than something that's foundational to it, rather than as a system of apartheid, uh, which Human Rights Watch and the Israeli human rights organization Betzalem uh, have, have recently affirmed. Um, my, I, I go back a long way on this topic as well. I spent the summer between my junior and senior year in college uh, in Jerusalem at Hebrew University and then in East Jerusalem. Uh, and um, and, and it's, I, I thought about this a couple of years ago when I was back at Hebrew University that my first time there, Israel was 35 years old and the occupation was 16 years old. Um, and when I returned, Israel was twice as old, 70 years old, and the occupation was 51 years old. That's a difference that makes a difference. Um, it, it, the, the idea here that um, we can talk about the occupation in a way that's isolated from the nature of the Israeli national project because it's only temporary, it's only exceptional, um, that's an idea that has lost credibility with Palestinians and it's lost credibility with Arab citizens of Israel as we have been seeing in the uprisings that have taken place in a number of towns uh, within Israel proper. Uh, and so I think people need to reconceptualize the situation. Now, personally, having been in journalism, I really believe the problem for Arabs is we don't understand the media. We don't understand uh, communications. We don't get our story across in the United States. I mean, you look at the Israelis, they're so smart. They hire a PR guy he, uh, to find an author to write a book. He goes out. Uh, Ed Gottlieb, I interviewed him years and years ago. Uh, and he went out and hired Leon Uris to write the book Exodus, which in a fictional way defined for the American people what the Middle East has been about. And it's never really changed. And you put Paul Newman's handsome, you know, beautiful face on that movie and people fall in love with the story. And sometimes the story is more uh, uh, believed than the actual facts. So we're kind of behind the eight ball, aren't we? I mean... I see the Arab community angry and emotional, and I must say that the protests have been far larger this time than I've ever seen over the past years. I don't know if you agree with me. They've been very significant. But I wonder, is that enough? That was one of them, yes. It was quite impressive. Yeah, yeah they are. I yeah. mean, well, but is, is that enough? Are we doing enough as Arab Americans to support the peace process? Or do we just criticize everything because we're angry with this history of problems? Well, I think we have the new voices representing the Arab community, including my former student, Rashida Tlaib, uh, who obviously had an interaction with the president. Significant achievement. And, and so I think we're seeing some change, but we're also seeing fundamental change in the American Jewish community and a, a real separation between old ways of looking at this and an older generation's way of looking at this uh, and the way that, that younger American Jews are looking at it. Um, and so uh, I think people are finally starting to come to grips 
with more of the reality of what is occurring on the ground and has been occurring on the ground over a long period of time and, and actually being able to listen to different narratives. And it's true that both sides need to listen to the narratives of the other side. Um, but when I was in college, I was introduced, you know, having, having gone to Hebrew school for all those years and having sort of grown up, you know, with the, the, the myth of Israel's immaculate uh, conception, uh, to, to be introduced by a, a fellow student uh, to Fawaz Turki is the disinherited, um, yeah. which is mythological oh. maybe in, in some of its own ways, uh, but which was the first time for me to understand what this whole story looked like from the entirely different perspective. I, I actually have an autograph. I actually have an autographed copy from him. When I was young, he wrote the book. That was my version of Exodus. Brad, let we got to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to continue this discussion with you, if you don't mind. On uh, with me here on Zoom is Brad Roth. He's a professor of political science and law and director of undergraduate studies at the Department of Political Science at Wayne State University, um, and we appreciate him helping us understand the issues and challenges that uh, President Biden and Secretary of State Blinken face and the disparity in how uh, uh, the, the issues uh, for Palestinians and Israelis are you know, balanced off sometimes in the media and in politics. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue that discussion with uh, my guest, Brad Roth. I'm Ray Hanania. We'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Ziad Brand. Quality products from our family to yours. Ziad Brothers Importing offers the finest quality products, including brands like Sultan, Kraft, Nestle, Hook, Rico Picon, Donna, and many more. Ask your retailer to carry these fine products because you deserve the very best. For more information, visit our website at www.ziad.com. That's www.ziad.com. Ziad quality products from our family to yours. When you're looking for the best in optical care, Dr. Imad Nakash is your doctor to see. With years of experience and thousands of successful procedures performed, you can trust your eyes to Dr. Imad Nakash. See Dr. Imad Nakash and his professional staff for your eye care needs. There's two locations to serve you. In Hazel Park, call 248-336-3937. 248-336-3937. In Rochester Hills, call 248-299-3937. That's 248-299-3937. Enjoy the first Syrian-style cuisine in Michigan. At Damas Cuisine and Catering, you'll find a wide selection of Syrian foods and sweets in our menu, like frike, poise, grape leaves with steak, mashawi platter, hot mahashi, char-grilled kebab, shawarma, and much more. Get super fast delivery from Damas Cuisine and Catering right to your door. Order online at damascuisine.com forward slash menu and track your order live. Damas Cuisine and Catering, 28841 Orchard Lake Road in Farmington Hills. Call 248-987-4985.
The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And I'm on the air with Brad uh, Roth here at WNZK AM 690 Radio in Detroit and WDMV AM 700 Radio in Washington, D.C. Also streaming live, broadcasting live on uh, Facebook.com slash Arab News. We're sponsored by Arab News. And also uh, brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network. So we always want to thank Leila Al-Husseini for doing that. Um, Brad, I was going to ask you about, you know, it it seems like the presidents and politicians have three choices. One, turn your back on the conflict and just support Israel. Two, pressure Israel to make peace with the Palestinians and eliminate Hamas from the equation. Or three, manage it just enough to prevent it from getting worse while doing nothing more. Where do you think the Biden administration sits on that spectrum? Well, I fear it's the last uh, of those three, but I I think that there are some pressures in the other direction. And the question is how to to increase that pressure on the administration. Um, But the administration continues to to view these things in terms of how to, uh, to undermine Hamas. Uh, which uh, I think is in in one sense a worthy goal, but uh, in another sense actually fails to come to grips with the the nature of the crisis. Uh, The the fundamental problem of Hamas's legitimacy on the ground with large sectors of the Palestinian population is what has to be addressed. And in order to address that, one has to get to the the root causes of the conflict and and not try to isolate these issues in the way that's convenient to to maintaining the status quo. But, it, but isn't the legitimacy of Hamas, uh, as you point out, really the result of the failure, the peace process, the anger and the emotion of the public? I mean, we turn to the tough guy when we're upset. We turn to the peacemaker when we're happy, right? I mean, I remember back in 2000, things seemed to be going pretty well. Everything looked good. And then, of course, I think Netanyahu and Sharon pretty much did whatever they could to disrupt everything but um and but hamas also did i mean you know using violence to destroy the clinton peace process so isn't it is it the players that drive this or is it the inability of people to control their emotions and see past the anger to a vision that you know there might be a real peace where we could actually live with our own state. Maybe people don't believe that. It's just, I'm reacting to the anger. They shoot somebody, I get mad, I protest. Um, I can't get away from that. Is that a problem that we have, you think, or that faces this conflict? I think that that is part of the problem. I also think, though, that there's a narrative on both sides that the peace process has actually taken them to the cleaners. 
Um, so you had the, the period after Oslo in which the, the result was uh, expansion of the settlements right. during the period in which there was supposed to be negotiation uh, toward a two-state solution. Uh, on the other hand, the Israelis have a, a narrative, too, that no good deed goes unpunished, that to the extent to which they have relinquished control over territory, that territory has been used uh, to launch attacks into Israel, both in southern Lebanon and then in Gaza. Uh, and so the, uh, the, the, there's a, a keen sense uh, among hardliners on both sides uh, that the, the peace process is a mug's game. Uh, and, uh, and in order to regain credibility for the peace process, it seems to me, uh, there, there need to be uh, new approaches and new ways of conceptualizing the problem. But at the end of the day, it seems to me, um, there are certain red lines that have long since been crossed right. if we're going to see this in terms of a two-state solution based upon the 1967 borders, uh, based upon the idea that what's going on is an occupation of territory across those borders uh, in, under the terms of international law. If that's the way we're going to see this, we have to fundamentally delegitimate a whole series of policies that Israel continues to engage in and, and continues to enhance over time uh, which has violated those fundamental premises. If we want to jettison those fundamental premises, that's okay too, uh, but that works both ways. The Israelis want to characterize the green line as a unidirectional border. Uh, right. What's ours is ours and what's yours may also be ours. Uh, and that's the thing that has, has really been a fundamental premise of, of U.S. actions over time. The United States government used to, uh, back in the beginning of the occupation, uh, recognized that occupation law applied and therefore that the settlements were fundamentally illegal. Um, they've changed the tone now and started to talk in terms of how the settlements are an obstacle to peace. Uh, well, everything's an obstacle to peace. Right. And the Israelis can simply say that, well, peace isn't on the horizon anyway. There are too many other reasons. So, you, so why pin it on settlements? We can just keep doing what we're doing. Are you optimistic that something's going to come out of this whole thing, that we're going to I mean, we're going to have peace anytime soon. Are you optimistic at all? Well, I'm not optimistic that we're on the threshold of any fundamental uh, uh, agreement. Um, I do think, though, that there are reasons for optimism. Uh, and I think that those reasons for optimism have to do with the increasing nature of, of the consciousness of the, the legacies of colonialism and racism. Uh, we've seen, obviously, in the United States in the last year, a huge upsurge in consciousness of those kinds of realities here, and people are starting to draw connections between that uh, and, and what's going on in Israel and the occupied territories. Uh, but that's not simply a phenomenon limited to the United States. It's, it's one, also one you see in Great Britain, and it's one you see in, in other places as well, uh, in influential countries uh, that might be able to ultimately bring pressure to bear on Israel to change course. Brad, listen, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This is a discussion that could go on for hours um, uh, longer. It should definitely be longer than some of our titles. Even my own, I was thinking about it. I go, that's a long title for me, too. We should, that's too much. I just want one-word titles. Brad Roth, uh, uh, Brad Roth, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, it really was a pleasure to have you on. It was great meeting you. Layla El Husseini speaks very highly of you. Um, and uh, I will uh, keep my eye out for all the stuff you do at Wayne State University. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it was great having you on. I'm Ray Anania. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with Ephraim Kosafi, who is a correspondent for Arab News at the United Nations. We'll be right back right after these messages.
ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Life is a nonprofit charity that's provided humanitarian aid and development to people and communities for over 25 years, regardless of race, color, religion, or cultural background. When disaster occurs here or around the world, Life for Relief and Development rushes in to provide food, medical aid, and shelter to those in need. Please help improve these efforts. Make your tax-deductible donation to Life now at lifeusa.org or call 248-424-7493. Are you going to start a restaurant or a grocery store soon? Do you need floor plans and designs? Call Naji Abood at 734-744-9796. Do you want to buy kitchen and restaurant equipment at discount prices? Call Naji Abood now, 734-744-9796. New concept products and design, the trademark of kitchen equipment. 5% discount on all purchases of $75,000 or more. New concept products and design. New location, 31185 Schoolcraft in Livonia. Learn more at www.newconceptproducts.com. Call Naji Abood, 734-744-9796. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical Physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And welcome back to the Ray Hanania Show. I am Ray Hanania, and I'm on with a good friend of mine, uh, Ephraim Kosafi, who is the Arab News correspondent who covers the United Nations. Ephraim, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning, Ray, and good afternoon, and good morning to all our audiences everywhere. There, yeah, there's no time zone. I, I, I don't know whether it's morning or night. It's 5 p.m. someplace. It's 8 a.m. someplace else. 
I don't know. Hey, listen, you got a big uh, citation, a nice credit uh, from the Middle East Policy Council uh, this week when they uh, noted some of your reporting in their analysis of what was happening in the Middle East. They pointed out that Ismail Haniya of Hamas was reaching out, I guess, to uh, Iran for help. Yeah. Uh, which is not surprising that they would do that, but they did that. But, uh, claim, you know, making the implication that nobody's doing anything. But in truth, uh, you went through all of the, uh, a lot of the region and noted that, in fact, there were a lot of uh, Arab countries that actually, in a little surprisingly compared to the past, uh, some of these countries have been very tough on Israel um, and their brutality in the Gaza, you know, just the, the inequity in the balance of, you know, uh, Hamas fires rockets, one Israeli gets killed, the Israelis fire rockets, and 200 Palestinians get killed. It's terrible. But there were some pretty strong statements against this uh, uh, violence from the Israelis, from countries like Saudi Arabia and a few of the others. That's a big deal. Congratulations. It's a huge deal. Uh, I mean, that's what Arab news does. We go and scour for Arab news everywhere. We don't. We do not let any Arab uh, any Arab country statement or um, um, uh, political development. Uh, we don't. We do not let it go uncovered. So we put it out there, right? Yeah, we put it out there. That's what we do here at the UN. That's what we do all the time. Um, in response to um, uh, Hamas. Uh, um, uh, Ismail Haniya calling on Iran uh, to help. I think our colleague uh, Dana Kulaylat Khatib uh, said it best in the op-ed, and she's also quoted in the in the same article that you saw. Uh, she said, like the best thing Iran can do now for the Palestinians that Hamas can do for the Palestinians is to, to stay away, right? <laughs> Just yeah, Iran and stay away. Let the world, let the rest of the world deal with it. And yes, it's true. Um, you know, Ray, at the at the Security Council, as soon as the airstrikes began on Gaza, um, member states um, um, called for an emergency Security Council meeting to come up with a unified voice and uh, to condemn uh, the war and to reach a ceasefire as soon as possible. Um, and as you know, China is the president, is the rotating president of the Security Council this time. And what happened is that four meetings, four emergency meetings were convened, including one on Sunday, which almost never happened. Like the UN never works on Sunday. Everyone came on Sunday. Right. They were not able to come up with a unified statement. And of course, the US and uh, all the diplomats were telling us behind closed doors that it's the US that's refusing uh, and th th that's refusing to come up with a one statement. And they want to do their diplom quiet diplomacy. They want to keep because they think uh, anything right. other than quiet diplomacy is going to be counterproductive. But of course, everyone was saying, so show us where, what is the result of this quiet diplomacy. And as you said, the result was 300 dead. Yeah, it, it, it's horrible uh, to see this, this violence. Uh, but it, it happened, Ray, is that after the Security Council failed, uh, the General Assembly, two member states, I think it was France and Tunisia, requested the General Assembly to uh, convene a meeting. That's what happens when Security Council cannot agree on one state. Right. So what surprised us all, the reporters and journalists here, is that uh, when the president of the General Assembly sent us the list of speakers uh, for the emergency session that he called for, it was 110 speakers. We have never seen anything like this. 
in an emergency session, wow. you have 15, 20 speakers. You had 110 countries one, wanting to come. And, they, and it was the first in-person meeting of the General Assembly after one year of virtual meetings. So it was a very, very strong event. Uh, and I think what it did is that it reminded the whole world, and the whole world reminded itself, actually, that the Palestinian cause is central. And the centrality of the cause is not just uh, for Palestinians, it's for every Arab, every Muslim, and every human rights defender in the world. So it was a huge event to see that they had to cut it in half, and we just had the second session yesterday. Yeah, and, and obviously at the, these discussions that you cover, is there an understanding that, and contrary to what the mainstream American media tries to say, that oh, this conflict started when Hamas started firing rockets at Israel, which is so ridiculous. I, I mean, I, just being objective, yeah. you would say that, you know, that's much deeper than that, that that's just the headline. Um, yeah. Was there a discussion about the 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 uh, fuses that have started this, the oppression of Palestinians, the uh, evictions of families from Sheikh Jarrah in East Jerusalem, are they talking about that at the United Nations, or is the focus just on Hamas versus Israel? No, it was the whole focus was on the inception of all of this. Like, how did it all start? And this is did it all start? And this is where we also saw the huge chasm between 109 countries, and then you have Israel and America saying something else. It was fascinating. The Israeli, the Israeli permanent representative to the UN. Um, that's all he talked about, how it all started. Right. He called everyone else a hypocrite for not saying that it started with Hamas firing rockets. But every other country and every other human rights defender right. said, no, it all started in Sheikh Jarrah. Right. It's like every American newspaper says the same thing here. If yeah. Hamas would just stop bombing Israel, we'd have peace. And I'm going, are you kidding yeah. me? You, did yeah. they just wake up and not see everything else that has been happening? Over the there, but it seems people in the New York Times and in Washington Post, like an open criticism of Israel by some of the biggest, uh, you know, columnists in the New York Times, and uh, that's also that was also something new we need to mention. Uh, what was that? Explain that again. Um, that for the first time you see in American media, of course, it was mostly supportive of Israel, but for the first time you see voices that are saying enough yes. is enough, America, with your right. relationship with Israel. Enough is enough. Yeah, they, I, I think people, when, if they would just look at the pain and destruction being caused, it's imperative to bring people together. Our, and it sounds like the majority of the member states at the United Nations are supportive of the Palestinian assertion that yes. this was brought on by Israel. Yes. This conflict. And we have to say that the condemnation of Hamas as well yeah. was just as loud. Like, yeah, I mean, listen, there Hamas. Single, there was not a single uh, sympathetic statement towards Hamas that we should also mention. Uh, they have been condemned by every single country as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, Hamas is there. They take advantage of the uh, of issues uh, to their own political advantage. So it is good to hear that there's a condemnation of Israel's actions and of Hamas. Yes. But is there a strong enough voice also to express support for the suffering that's taking place. You know, these are civilians that are dying. The majority of uh, people being killed are Palestinian civilians who are not carrying weapons, who haven't done anything. Yeah. Was there any discussion also at the UN about the t 
targeting of media buildings by the Israeli yeah, military? Deal at the UN too. Yeah, that uh, civilians. That was what most countries talked about. It's civilians on both sides. Right. But, but when talking about Gaza, it's the disproportionate use of force that is uh, contrary to international law and international humanitarian law, which is why everyone was criticizing Israel because of that. And you can tell, like, in terms of um, support for Palestinians, I don't know in Chicago, Ray, I haven't been following, but in New York, that's all on every, every New York. Yeah, I, I've seen every city now, probably more than ever, the turnout has been huge of protesting. Yeah. Yeah. But you know me, I don't think I think protesting is only a small part of what needs to be done. Of protesting is just making us feel good, you know, and then we go home at night and then we sit down and we eat our big dinners and everything. And meanwhile, nothing changes in the Middle East. So it also I, gives visibility after a time when we felt after Donald Trump, the former president, moved the embassy to Jerusalem. And you feel that the Palestinians or we had the impression that they have been right. relegated to the sidelines of history that. We're never going to talk about it again. And now what these protests are doing, that they're giving visibility to this cause. And there were literally thousands blocking the many avenues here in New York and in other American and cities. So I think that's huge. We don't has, it has, has it had an impact on the uh, nations in the uh, member nations of the United Nations? Where it was pretty much in sync with what the member states were saying, basically. Right. And, of course, though, nothing is... In, I covered the UN briefly, and then uh, you're covering it now. And uh, you know the bureaucracy of the United Nations. You get the General Assembly; they pass all kinds of statements, yeah, and attitudes, and information, and anger, and happiness, or whatever. But substance only comes from the Security Council. Yeah, that doesn't change, does it? The Security okay. Council. This is another thing. This Palestinian, uh, this uh, crisis has. Uh, propelled many of the member states to uh, call for the revitalization of the Security Council. Many member states and many ambassadors, many foreign ministers, they said, until when are we going to have a Security Council where all the power in the world hangs in the, uh, in the balance between Russia and America? They decide everything behind closed doors. They have the key to every conflict. They have the answer to every conflict, but they just, you know, they're the only ones um, dominating the Security Council. Uh, and so everyone else is like, you know, has no word in the council. Everyone is calling for reforms for the Security Council. So we have more permanent members so that more countries, more world powers can make decisions and not just these two 75 year old foes, Russia and America. Right. And of course, China, who's the president of the council, was uh, actually very happy to see how America and especially Joe Biden's administration and, you know, the permanent representative, the U.S. permanent representative came back under this headline, the return of multilateralism. America right. is back. And here we go. The first crisis. America is the only one standing in the face of multilateralism, even yeah. though they defended themselves later by saying we were conducting quiet diplomacy and, you know, and uh, we have not been silent. So they want to block the public uh you know, like voting and the veto is to stop stuff so that they yeah. can, they say, we can yeah. just take it quietly to the side. A lot of Arab countries have spoken out too, haven't they, in support of Palestinians? And, and you know, a lot of times they get criticized often by the, uh, you know, the uh, protesters. But the truth is that their support is critical to moving this to a position where the Palestinian issue is going to be of significance. 
Uh, yeah. What are some of the voices from the Arab world that you heard at the UN? Well, let's talk about Saudi Arabia. Uh, for example, like uh, Foreign Minister Prince Faisal bin Farhan, he came over, uh, he was here in person at the UN, and he delivered a very quick, <clears throat> straight to the point speech in which he actually came to the United Nations to remind the United Nations of its own charter. Like, what are we talking about? This is the UN charter. Uh, excessive use of force is against that charter. Right. Forcing people out of their homes is against that charter. Uh, um, having an apartheid regime <laughs> is in contravention of international laws and international humanitarian laws, um, and called uh, you know, and a threat. Most importantly, a threat to international peace and security. And what this general assembly meeting showed is also solving Palestine. The Palestine problem is solving uh, a huge, huge security and. Uh, uh, cri security problems and crises around the world. And as Riyad Malki, the Palestinian foreign minister, said, the session of the General Assembly was yet another reminder that Jerusalem is central to every single Muslim and Arab in the world. And he right. said, and he capitalized on that. And that was a message for the whole world. Like, you want to tamper with Jerusalem, you're tampering with the feeling of every Arab and Muslim around the world. And that could be very significant. We only have a few minutes left, Ephraim, but and I'm not, just to remind our listeners and viewers on Arab News Facebook uh, page, uh, I'm on with Ephraim Kosfi. He is the U.N. correspondent who covers the United Nations for Arab News. So we appreciate him taking the time this morning to join us. Um, what do you expect is going to be happening over the next few weeks? Does the U.N. have a is the U.N. going to play a role, do you think? in this uh, mediation process that uh, Blinken has brought to the Middle East this past week? Well, the UN has been engaged, uh, the, um, uh, not in the person of the Secretary General. Um, we can talk about this in another uh, episode, Ray. But his uh, envoy, uh, Tor Venisland, has been uh, conducting daily um, uh, phone conversations and daily meetings with all parties. That's what we hear. Let's not forget that the UN is really the sum of its all members. Just right. like Saudi Arabia is a member of the UN, Israel is also a member of the UN, Iran, uh, um, Myanmar. And so the UN is in a world that's so inflamed by so many conflicts. Uh, the UN is still trying to just keep a safe distance with everybody so that uh, the organization can still be in touch with everybody. All right. Ephraim, listen, I want to thank you for joining us. Believe me, I wish I had a four-hour show because this thank is you, at least a four-hour topic compared to our titles. We could give ourselves bigger titles, too. Ephraim Kosafi, uh, UN correspondent for Arab News. Ephraim, thank you so much. Thank you, Ray. I'm Ray Hanania, and I want to thank everybody for listening to the show and also for joining us on Facebook. Remember, go to ArabNews.com to read all the stories and Ephraim's follow-ups and my stories and everybody else. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next Wednesday morning for another episode of the Ray Hanania Radio Show. Bye-bye, everybody.